वेलकम टू सिंट टॉक द सिंट टॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द फेट ऑफ डिजीजेस विल थिंक अबाउट द हिस्ट्री प्रेजेंट एंड द लॉन्ग टर्म फ्यूचर ऑफ ह्यूमन एंड अदर डिजीजेस डू लाइफ एंड डिजीजेस ऑलवेज गो हैंड इन हैंड आर इराडिकेटेड डिजीजेस इराडिकेटेड फॉर एवर does eradicating all diseases remarkably change life expectancy why is individual curative care not enough to manage diseases what role do social determinants play can a society be hypochondriac is the immune system nearly limitless why don't we often get diseases from plants is a disease free world technically possible can diseases eradicate human race in the near or distant future we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today dr gorgo chatiji he is a trained medical doctor and a cognitive neuroscientist at isi calcutta and he is also a columnist on politics and culture dr shahid jamil He is a biochemist and a virologist, and is currently in research management and wants to produce the next generation of life science leaders. And Professor Mohan Rao, he is a medical doctor specialized in public health. He teaches and does research in the history and politics of health. He is from JNU in New Delhi. Um, Shahid, why don't you set the ball rolling with you um, with the eradication question, maybe um, of when one tries to or goes after eradicating a disease and ends up ostensibly succeeding at it? Is the disease gone forever, or do they make a comeback, or can they make a comeback? What are the problems there? What are the concepts there? A question of that nature. Right. So when you talk of a disease being eradicated, you're essentially talking about reducing the infection levels of that bug right to such a low number that it's not transferred from one person to the other in any measurable manner so let's say if we're saying today that polio has been eradicated from india it means that the polio virus is unable to go from one person to another person in the community but why is that uh, shahid because if i am infected i'm infected it doesn't matter if anybody else is so i would have similar ability to infect anybody else who comes into contact with me wouldn't it yeah no so the the lev- the levels of the of the bug has gone down so much in the in the community mm-hmm. that this almost a zero probability of somebody getting infected but to say that it's eradicated completely eradicated so yes the disease is eradicated but has the polio virus been eradicated mm-hmm. smallpox has been eradicated but has the smallpox virus completely disappeared mm-hmm. i don't think so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and can it can it be made to disappear you, when you say you don't think so well uh i i d- you're saying that it doesn't need to be so long as it goes below a certain critical level it's yeah, fine yeah so that's that's disease right yes, so uh, that's the disease just because you don't see the the disease being manifested mm-hmm. you are assuming that the bug has also disappeared yeah what if i mean i'm not saying this is happening to polio or or smallpox but what if uh, a bug has changed to a level where it doesn't cause disease would right. you still say that it has been eradicated uh, so the disease essentially has been eradicated sure but the disease causing organism sure might still be around sure and that's obviously only for infectious diseases only for yes cases of where of so the whole idea of eradication kind of links up only in fact that. in fact a majority of uh, of uh, viruses for example mm-hmm. cause asymptomatic infections mm-hmm. 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 Uh, they they don't lead to a disease mm-hmm. and disease is not a consequence that is uh, beneficial to the bug per se yeah they don't want to wipe the host so yeah they don't want to wipe the unless <laughs> unless it is in their interest to wipe the host out when would that for, be the case? for transmission to a new host is that ever the case well i mean something that came close was uh, was ebola right why did ebola spread so fast in west africa mm-hmm. it did because of some very specialized uh, funeral practices that were there uh, oh, in, in so? west africa mm-hmm. so th- actually the preparation of the dead body for burial mm-hmm. caused transmission mm. from an infected person to an uninfected person mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in a, in a way high mortality uh, following ebola virus infection also led to greater transmission sure that's but that's that's not the case for example if you talk about uh, hiv for example yeah yeah if hiv killed its host very quickly before the host had a chance to transmit it either sexually or through blood to another person uh hiv wouldn't be such a successful pathogen yeah which kind of depends on the nature of infection right. and right. the manner in which it transmits right let's bring in the social question here mohan how does it work are there social determinants surely there are aren't they for um i think a very important uh, idea here is that of the natural history of a disease in a community mm-hmm. and a disease which is new in a community tends to have a higher infection rate a high disease rate a high mortality rate that's interesting all and the three hmm. all three and over a period of time there becomes a disjunction between the infection rate and the disease rate right and the disease rate and, and the, the death mortality. rate right and over a period of time then the disease incidence comes down in a population that's because we develop so with immunity or without, with or without intervention So this has been the pattern with most diseases and just has been mentioned this is the case with HIV AIDS also right. you see that it has peaked and it is now starting to come down now in all cases of all disease mm. a disease causing agent is a necessary condition but mm. not a sufficient condition yes. the sufficient condition lies with perhaps the human host 
and whether or not the human host is in a position to withstand that infection or not. And when you're talking about the human host, obviously the social conditions come into play, whether or not you're healthy, whether or not you're well-fed, whether or not you're living and you're living in working conditions right. make it feasible that you're you get the disease, but I mean you get the infection, but don't get the disease. Right. All of us are infected with tuberculosis. Not yes. all of us get the disease. Only a few people do. Right. 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 So is that is that why are the root of immunity eventually? It's partly to, due to immunity, mm -hmm. partly due to the fact that the epidemiologically, the lethality of the in, infectious agent comes down over a period of time. It decreases if the lethality decreases if the host is healthy. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the example. Uh, the Soviet Union brought down the Soviet Union brought down a whole lot of infectious diseases mm -hmm. without any immunization program. How? People were healthier. Okay. So children did not get measles, for instance. Right. But once the Soviet Union collapsed and they had this huge crisis of health, the health system collapsing, mm -hmm. measles, which had ceased to be a public health problem, you had an epidemic of measles occurring in Russia. Mm -hmm. So the conditions changed. And that was what made the disease not a problem earlier and it became a problem once Soviet Union collapsed. So let me ask you this, Mohan. When you say the health system collapsed, what was not there anymore? The health system collapsed in the sense funding to the health systems uh, sharply cut down what was called the shock mm -hmm. in, in uh, Russia. Uh, doctors did not get paid. They left the health services. They went into the private sector to practice. Uh, medicines were not available and people were hungry and, you know, levels of hunger increased. And that is one important determinant of diseases. That matters. Food it matters. matters fundamentally. Matters. Food, your wages, uh, these are very fundamental to health. And do, 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 do poor people fundamentally get very different diseases from rich people? Mm, I think so, because they're li more likely to live in unhealthy circumstances. They they get a double barrel of diseases. They get the diseases of the rich and those of, those of the poor. They get the superset. Yes. They get <laughs> Interesting. And how 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 different are different diseases, uh, Shahid, in the sense that uh, if if you were to say that these are the categories of diseases, um, is is there a way to is there a way to do something like that and do some of these questions and nuances that we're talking about differed, differ across categories? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things is you have to distinguish between disease and infection. Yeah. So if you're talking about disease, a disease could be communicable, yeah. which is transferred from one person to the other. Uh, an animal to a human. Uh, zoonotic. That's, that's a zoonotic. So, but hmm. it's, it's, it comes in the broad category of communicable disease. Yes. And then there are non-communicable diseases. I mean, lifestyle diseases. There's, there's, there's diabetes. There's cardiovascular disease. At least so far, we know that diabetes is, is a non-communicable disease, uh, although I'm not... Why, why, not do you, so why, do you, why do you qualify that? Well, uh, because, uh, you know, Tomorrow there may be uh, a, a bug discovered that specifically destroys the beta cells of the pancreas and then uh, diabetes becomes a communicable disease. Hmm. Hmm. So, Have there been instances of this sort where diseases that were believed to be non-communicable turned out to be communicable? 
Not that I know of, uh, right. but I think there are more eminent people who, <laughs> on this panel who, who who've read more Other about the history of that of nature. Actually, that. I, you know, it's useful to some extent to have this categorization sure. of communicable and non-communicable, uh, but I don't think you can uh, stick rigidly to this for the simple reason that, uh, you know. certain kinds of cancers are associated with having a prior infection for instance right so this distinction is not always useful and i would certainly hesitate to call some diseases lifestyle diseases i would perhaps say it is a consequence of the kind of development that these societies have gone through mm. and you know this this idea of saying infectious diseases infectious diseases are environmentally caused whereas uh, uh, non communicable diseases are caused by lifestyle factors hmm. i think what it does do is to individualize uh, individualize the problem that right. is right. there is an environmental reason for communicable diseases but non communicable diseases are due to individual lifestyle and I, and and so it's it's up to an individual to do something to, yeah, about it yeah. i think this is deeply problematic why uh, i think for instance just take the case of uh, the obesity that you see in the western countries you think there's something systemic about it there is something systemic and it is equally environmental The mm. fact that people are getting fatter here if they can afford it is because our streets are designed so that you don't walk. People are walking less, and so on, and so and on. so on, and so forth. Uh, What about? Uh, yeah, I would like yeah. to co- come in on that. While, uh, of course, uh, there are systemic causes, and there are. Uh, what we call communicable diseases mm. we should uh, keep in mind at this point uh, diseases diseases of a type which really have a very personalized play for example uh, diseases which are with huge uh, genetic predispositions you know a, a good example is huntington's chorea yeah uh, it's 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 a typically an adulthood disease which mm-hmm. means that uh, you actually get into reproducible age and then sort of get it mostly but if you have the gene you will almost get it right so there's nothing you can do about it so we also have to flag sort of that class of diseases which are clearly diseases uh, on, on that category having said that uh, i do agree on this uh, kind of so you're saying that a, a a significant proportion of non communicable diseases no no not a significant proportion i'm just uh, flagging that there is a class of diseases for which for i mean you may just be genetically predisposed exactly, to yeah. exactly yeah. now uh, now but now we are getting into tricky territory uh, when we say genetically predisposed we also mean that what is the likelihood that if you have a certain kind of a genetic heritage you will actually get it for example things like even things like diabetes okay right. these have been show, have been shown to have polygenic influences okay but that doesn't What say, do you mean when you say polygenic influences? Uh, in, uh, influenced by the presence of many different forms of a gene sure. it's it's not a single short sure, thing you sure, have sure, sure. you if you have the gene you get it there's no such one to one correspondence but uh, having said that there's often the other component of okay i you were standing to getting a disease you're standing very near the edge but what actually topples you over yeah very often this heritage is not good enough for huntington's chorea uh, that's a particularly stark example hmm. where you are off the cliff anyways right. okay but in many cases you're not one 
that's one way of looking at it where yes. there's an interaction between what your kind of biological system is in situ interacting with the environment but then on the other hand it is for example uh, what uh, professor rao was tra- uh, also saying that if you are debilitated by certain kinds of diseases let's say communicable you are also open to other kinds of diseases much more uh, kind of easily which uh, may be of the which is the comorbidity point or i mean you just yes pre- comorbidity more likely the, to get some diseases no 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 what's the, happening the, the, there what what evidence is uh, pointing out for instance is that uh, uh, childhood exposure to infections which is clearly related to your environment and sure. so on is linked to the occurrence of cancers in adulthood right so the fact that cancer is a non-communicable disease is linked to infections in childhood you see and this is coming up repeatedly with very many t- different types of cancers so what happens i mean as a biologist uh, what happens so why does an infection what what does it do to us physiologically why why does a body end up becoming more susceptible to certain diseases well i mean it it just doesn't go one way i mean asthma is a case where it can go the other way kids who grow up in environments where they have more exposure to uh, different kinds of viruses early in life mm-hmm. are you not as predisposed to asthma later in life so there's actually a beneficial effect mm-hmm. so it's not that you know Uh, so are you saying that end up developing immunity to it or some, well i mean yeah i mean that's I, what i'm defense. talking about is the hygiene hypothesis where you know if you live in conditions early in your childhood in in conditions that are not very hygienic and you're exposed to multiple uh, you know infections right then you know later in life you are much less predisposed to asthma as compared to somebody who's who's grown up in a in a fairly sterile environment right right uh, <coughs> so right. you know i i don't think it just cuts one way but sure. yes i mean predisposition i mean the, the the whole issue of predisposition was brought about genetic susceptibility and it's it's very clear that some people have the gene polymorphisms that make you more susceptible to a disease as opposed to others that uh, have beneficial Uh, so there's a heritability angle to this whole thing as yes, well. Absolutely. Why don't we spend some time on brain diseases, uh, Gorgo? How are they different? What is? Well, I wouldn't put brain diseases in some kind of a special category. box. Yes, sure, because, sure. Uh, uh, the, in a way, there, uh, in a certain way of looking, there is no mind-body dual- duality of that kind, and much <laughs> of the brain is not the mind. Much of the brain is actually just everyday functions. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, in terms of brain diseases there are certain limitations in how we deal with brain diseases largely because of the fact that they have consequences in terms of how we behave and interact with the world that right. makes them somewhat special in a certain way but it's not a class apart but that's at the level of the symptom exactly right. in, in in pathogenic terms of course at some level at the cellular level something is changing sure and not at very radically different ways than sure other diseases uh however in the symptomatic sense yes 
but in another way, for example, without the symptom or without the debilitation, and I would like to bring in psychiatric conditions here, mm. that is the disease. The fact that simply uh, characterizing the objective cellular change or objective kind of parametric changes in the brain by itself is not disease. We care. For example, if I had cut my hand and if it was not painful, it would not be a thing we would care about. The fact that it pains right. makes it a disease. It's right. a lack of ease, right? Right. So uh, the symptom is important right? right. In, in that right. way. So brain diseases have been uh, typically hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, I think things which have been easy to deal with is, uh, of course, communicable diseases of late, Brain, brain diseases have been typically hard to deal with, especially those which are not dealt with by large-scale nutrition. For example, a lot of what we call large-scale nutrition, right. you know, a lot of brain diseases or a lot of other kinds of diseases of the brain and the mind have to do with, you know, basic things like nutrition. For example, there has been good evidence that uh, maternal breastfeeding till six months or lack of it has huge cognitive consequences later in life. Mm. Okay, mm. So that's a very long-range sequence. Mm. Uh, now, later in life, if I just want to come in and intervene, it, it's really... There's we, not much you can do about we it. We really mm. uh, don't have much to do with it. Part of the reason is also architecture of the brain in the sense that it's such a packed system, such a packed organ. You can't take apart things. You, it's, it's, People are trying to micro-target and specify target things, but things have been rather hard, which is why in, uh, in the brain set of diseases, you do not have radical interventions. Mm -hmm. okay? You typically have loss of function associated if you intervene. So you are treating something, also affecting something else and hoping that a cost-benefit analysis will work out mm. in most cases. Mm. Mm. Or things have mm. been at the very basic level of giving multivitamins, you know, B-complexes <laughs> typically. Right. It's kind of a standing joke for neurologists that, you know, the, the, the choice is between giving neurobion and polybion. But, but you get the drift, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mohan, have there been instances where if, if one thinks of diseases in a very historical kind of way, of diseases which have been very difficult to get one's arms around, difficult to control, despite the natural tendencies for mortality and morbidity to go down and so on and so forth, which have been the most difficult diseases to... I think rather than uh, talking about, uh, you know, looking sure. typically at communicable diseases and what happens when uh, the human population meets with a communicable d disease, how does it... I think today we've also got to reckon with the fact that a large number of diseases are, in a sense, diseases of civilization. These are man-made diseases. And how do you deal with those? And I think that's an important environmental question to be asking because we live in an environment where we are not even aware of, you know, something in your paint, for instance, is giving rise to diseases. It could well be a neurological disorder that you're getting it, yeah. but no per individual person is able to typically control that. And uh, so this is something that we should uh, think of also. Uh, I don't know what new diseases we'll get because of all the radiation we are living through with because of the cell phones we are living through and the ultraviolet radiation that we are absorbing all the time. Are, are, are new diseases coming up all the time, Shahid? It's, it's addressed to all of you. I mean, yes, they are. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, they yeah. are coming all the time uh, uh change in environment and you know, change in environment is not just uh you know the smog that you have on on the streets of delhi uh but uh, you know loss of uh, forest habitats mm. i mean how did dengue emerge in the uh, in the human population it den- dengue was uh, Uh, dengue virus had uh, has a, had a forest cycle it had a sylvatic cycle right. it was circulating in the in the in the non-human primates monkeys right, right. Uh, as the, those habitats started getting destroyed right the monkeys started coming into contact more and more with humans and that's how the virus jumped from a monkey to a human i mean mm, uh, mm, so yes mm. there there you know history is full of such examples of diseases uh, that were not human diseases moving into humans let me ask you the 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 somewhat related question of vaccination so when you look yes. at a disease which is infectious can you design a vaccine for everything you know what Theori- i mean yes yeah. well i mean theoretically yes mm-hmm. uh but practically it's a different ball game uh because i mean the 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 best vaccines are the ones that produce the right kind of antibodies to neutralize sure an infectious agent sure but all infectious agents are not destroyed simply by antibodies as you know there is antibody based or humoral immunity and there is also cellular immunity mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. uh A, a good example let's say is hepatitis b virus hepatitis b virus was the first recombinant vaccine that was made was against hepatitis b virus uh you take a protein of the virus you produce it in a recombinant manner and then it was actually produced in yeast and you inject people with that protein they give rise to antibodies that neutralize the virus when the same principle was applied to hiv it mm-hmm. failed miserably mm-hmm. so i mean one way of making a vaccine uh is not a recipe for for all pathogens you must also remember that making or not making a vaccine is a political decision and it's an economic decision well, there's funding so the, involved there's there is funding involved there is interest effects, involved etc so which demography which category whether it's whether it's economically feasible to make it or not and sometimes you have vaccines being introduced into countries not because it's a public health problem but because, but it's because a there's a market there yes. <laughs> sure so so if we could also then uh, when you talked about you know will there always always be new diseases yes uh, what's kind of contained in that question is can we envisage a world with end of diseases right yes. they're kind of related questions so one way of thinking about it is you know for example take the huge variety of genetic predispositions okay yeah. let's say that's a layer yeah then take let's say the huge variety of human conditions economic social cultural etc which sure. exist okay then let's take another layer right for example in which human lives are changing for example life span is something very right. important i should uh, mention you here. brought in the element of age earlier when you were talking exactly so, right? right so for example if we think about multiplicative or uh, influences of these two layers we have already talked about sure. but their in their the interaction at different age groups are not the same right okay so if you have a significant amount of population 
at a certain age and going into certain more ages through life extension and whatnot, you know, anti-aging uh, questions which we are talking about or different levels of uh, kind of nutrition and well-being. Now, we are basically setting up a, ve a very complex set of multiplicative possibilities. Right. Right. For right. each kind of interaction. Is this an unending set? We do not know. We do not know for the particular reason is that because we do not live in a static world, we're also setting in dynamic interactions between all of these things in which the parameters are not constant. Yeah. So the answer is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely because we cannot predict what kind of encounters and or disease threshold encounters we are setting up through this process. I, I would imagine that you would agree with that, Mohan. Absolutely, that, absolutely. Yeah. Are uh, there are there subcultures, sub societies which no, have I kind think of also achieved? We should uh, think in terms of uh, a category which does not get adequate attention, and that is iatrogenic diseases. Mm -hmm. And are iatrogenic diseases increasing? And my suspicion is they are. Mm -hmm. Because especially in the West, I think an average Westerner is, ex is simultaneously taking at least four medications at one time. <laughs> okay. Now, such a person is likely to be having the consequences of being over-medicated right. of some sort or the other. Uh, for instance, the, uh, uh, the incidence of Parkinsonism is going up because more and more people are getting treated for hypertension. Right. And so you have all these other kinds of it's things that are coming in. the cure of one in. disease causing another disease almost. Or and the fact that you have a, in most places a, a health system which is uh, uh, making money out of disease yeah. and is intent on creating more diseases too. Yeah, the market question is super important. You know, a very related condition would be, for example, is hernia not known from the start of civilization uh, from humankind and other animals too? The answer is yes. Right. Okay. Uh, if your if the muscles in your lower belly become weakened, sure, there will be hernia. Right. Sure. But the point is, when that interacts with the high level of cesarean sections at present today in women, so in herniation in women who have had cesarean section right. the huge incidence of that right uh, it is not a kind of usual disease in the particular sense of communicable non-communicable it is a disease coming out of specific encounters it's hard to say that what i would call it iatrogenic yeah but, I but think it's, it's kind of the same concept yeah but cesarean in a certain sense is i think it's a very particularly interesting where example a, where a medical intervention is some kind of a exactly cause for yes and for, it yeah. also draws in all these questions of economics you know who typically why do government uh, systems have less of cesarean private systems have are, more are, are rare diseases more difficult to go after from a variety of perspectives funding, social, medical? Yes, they would be. Uh, because, I mean, by just just by calling them rare diseases, there would be very few people who would have that disease. And therefore, you know, you'd have very few people. Have there study. been instances of diseases which have gone from being rare to maybe acquiring a more virulent kind of form somewhere down the line? If we're talking about the attention a disease gets, hmm. it is, as I said to you earlier, it is not necessarily an epidemiologically significant disease that draws adequate attention. Yeah. Diseases of the poor typically do not get adequate funding research and they're in fact called orphan diseases. Yeah. Despite their prevalence, they are neglected. Yeah. 
and so you unless have you can make money off governments funding vaccination programs and things of that sort which yes and you have this recently in the case of hpv vaccines in india mm-hmm. the scandal involving trials of hpv vaccines on tribal girls in gujarat and andhra pradesh where some girls died the curious thing here of course is that uh, well we are not even sure what were the subtypes of carcinoma virus that these were targeting But the interesting question to me as a public health person is why is the incidence of carcinoma cervix declining in India despite the fact that we don't have community level screening programs but the fact of the matter is it is that's very interesting that's very 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 interesting well, where would you be on that question shahid the question we were on a while ago is a disease free world possible is a disease free sub world possible no is i don't think so i i think newer diseases will always emerge uh and so i and again for I, reasons similar to what we were talking earlier because yeah, there are interactions and more interactions factors. more uh you know different kinds of exposure not necessarily exposure to infectious agents but all kinds of environmental exposures and otherwise So I don't think a disease free world is possible a disease limited world is possible can we turn the question around and say whether diseases can eradicate us is it possible for there to be I I also don't think disease can eradicate us uh because uh, of you know human ingenuity mm-hmm. uh, is 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 probably the biggest threat to disease if you can that, sort of that, that, give that, a persona to that's disease that's a hope response i mean no it's not it's not uh i mean there have been uh, have have there been epidemics which have wiped um, yeah so look at the 1918 uh, flu epidemic yeah. it uh, it killed about 5% of the world population at that time plague killed 30% plague, of the european yes. population in right. the 15th the century yeah, yeah but you know two things happened so why why didn't it go all the way oh there was a change in the rat population yeah <laughs> two two things happened one is uh, you know as more people get exposed uh, you know a community level the chance of you finding uh, that antibody at least in the yeah, vaccine so sense is higher community level uh, sort of uh, immunity yeah increases and therefore the the incidence of infection may not go down as dramatically as the incidence of disease yeah so you get much less severe infection yeah uh, as uh, as time goes on yeah though in this discussion what i would like to put in though because uh, human existence hmm. uh, i mean for example there have been species extinctions before it's not an unheard thing where they can be attributed disease or other conditions that's kind of a question of debate and human existence in the world is not like that old of a thing so in a sense that if we are talking in terms of long time ranges uh whether what we have dealt with till now is a good indicator of what what might come later what might come later yeah is hard to say having said that in the next 500 years will we encounter something which in interactive senses given what we have the human history with well, the chances are very low because of the proportionality and the probabilistic element of it but if we stretch this future time 
then we are getting more and more into territory where the combinatrix will work out against us. So ingenuity... But equally at the same time, simultaneously, the genetic diversity, I would imagine, is... Sure. Is, so, so, is so very, the, very high. Yes, but can, can it hold it? Because, for yeah. example, every species which has gone off had genes, had diversity. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So no, but there, there is, is there something different about and let's talk about only for human about human beings for a while. Is there something interesting about the hum, human immune system? Is there some? I mean, is, is it one of the most complex immune systems around? If one, if one were to ask that question factually, not well, not it is it is a complex immune system because I mean it can theoretically uh, react to any combination of of, of pathogens. Uh, of course, not with equal efficiency to all of them. And that's why we get some diseases and we don't get diseases because of other infections, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's likely that there are some subpopulations that will not get infected by the HIV virus. Oh, yes. They are. So there are, yeah. there there are for example, people who have a certain mutation, uh, which is about 10% of the Caucasian population hmm. and about 1% of the Indian population, hmm. they can get multiple exposures to HIV and not, not get infected. Hmm. 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 There are people who get infected but don't show the typical symptoms of HIV, meaning their CD4 cell levels are, are constant, they don't dip. So th those are called elite controllers. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And Mohan, as a as a as a public health person, do the NCDs interest you at all? Oh yes, uh, I. It's just that I don't want to make this, as I said, uh, this distinction between communicable and non-communicable diseases too tight, because I think all diseases, whether communicable or non-communicable, are caused by a complex... There are systemic factors. Systemic factors, environmental factors, social factors, and economic factors underlying all diseases. And I think it's important to see this. The other reason I also want to... See, uh, uh, I'm not too happy with this idea of lifestyle disorders. Take the case of diabetes. Yeah. Typically, it is seen as a lifestyle disorder. The somebody who's lazy and is eating too much and is fat and doesn't exercise, etc., but I see this in rural India today among landless agricultural laborers who are on the brink of starvation. Hmm. And these are people who are working very, very hard indeed. Which is the point that in a way Shahid was kind of making that you don't know whether, whether diabetes is, is a communicable disease. I was making it from another hypothetical point of no, view. That why, why would yeah. that be the case, what Mohan is pointing out? Why are landless young laborers getting diabetes? They have the predisposing mutations right. that, uh, that make them more susceptible. In which case, probably related to maternal deprivation yes. in utero. <laughs> so again, yes. it's an environmental factor that comes yeah. in, an economic factor and a social factor. I mean, even something, I mean, and uh, it, that point can't be stressed more. The fact, I mean, we are That's talking about disease, death and questions like these, right? right? We haven't talked too much about death. I want to talk about it. Please, but please. the fact whether you actually survive beyond first five minutes of your life is actually determined a lot by your socioeconomic condition. I mean, a, a whole lot. Right. You know, a, 
biology, yes, right. but also interaction with it. I mean, I would like to kind of mention a very small anecdote uh, by a friend of mine. Uh, we went to medical school together, Shudip Mukherjee, who works in Bakura. So he often has patients mm-hmm. who are very poor mm-hmm. and they have probably come for a fever, probably an infection-led f- fever, mm-hmm. right? And of course, he could send them home mm-hmm. with an antibiotic or a paracetamol and a combination but they would insist that they get admitted the point is that admission means assured food so that's the kind of complex reality of a communicable disease person coming in (laughs) and actually wanting treatment of a non-communicable kind of backdrop sure 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 sure. or let's take the case of a person with tuberculosis Hmm. Now, if a person with tuberculosis is poor and is underfed, hmm. uh, anti-tubercular medication is not going to work on him. He has to have a certain nutritional level before the anti-tubercular medicine actually begins to work. So it's medicine plus nutrition. Absolutely. Which might have been the reason he got the infection in the first place. So you have situations, uh, you know, uh, the government of India is not doing it, but I know, for instance, Jan Swastia Sahayog, hmm. uh, they admit the patients and start feeding them hmm. and don't put them on anti-tubercular treatment till such time as they reach a minimum weight. And it's only after that that they start treatment. That's beautiful. What's your formula, Mohan, for a disease-free world? I, I know you I, said I, it's not I, possible. I know, I know it's, it's not possible. The approximate <laughs> formula. What are the must-haves? I think one very important determinant uh, of health, which we have not spoken about, is inequality. Social and economic inequality leads to a lot of diseases in society. By which you mean this lower wage, right? No, no, inequality. I I get it. That some people are rich and others are poor. I think this leads to a lot of uh, diseases and not just psychological diseases. It lies at the root of... um, Exposure to communicable and non-communicable diseases, it lies, it determines whether or not you have access to treatment. I think uh, if we did something about inequalities in our society, we would be dealing very effectively with a large number of diseases that you have. Right. Right. (laughs) I think hypertension, for instance, Hmm. and stress, stress related to inequalities Hmm. is one very important determinant of diseases. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Why don't we you change? see? You yeah, see, there is yeah. this very interesting study among civil servants in England, mm-hmm. and these are not populations which are exposed to uh, either hunger or poverty, hmm. and yet you find a very, very marked gradient between your level as a civil servant and your likelihood of catching diseases and dying. Is that so? Yes. <laughs> and the fact of the matter in this study... Yeah, I hope it's a valid study. It's a valid ongoing study. It's an ongoing study. <laughs> and what it shows you is that these uh, sort of determinants of disease, that is drinking, smoking, exercise, fibrinogen level, all of which are being taken every six months from this group of civil servants. It's called the Whitehall study. Sure. Level three is going to come down. Now, all these... <laughs> could explain only 33% of the differences in death rates in these populations. 66% remains unexplained. Hmm. So the hypothesis is, is inequality the reason? The fact that some people are able to make decisions about others' lives. 
Sure. It's, a, it, 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 it's so an who, interesting who hypothesis. Who has more stress? The one who's at making the, bottom, the decision? At the, at the bottom. The people huh? who, for whom <laughs> others, people lacking agency. People lacking agency. Why don't we ask a slightly different question? You know, we've spoken about animal-human contact and zoonotic diseases and things of that sort. I mean, do we contact, do we end up getting diseases from plants as well? Why or why not? Why is that the case? I mean, they're a part of the environment as well. In, I mean, poisoning, in, asthma, I mean, that's Because of pollens. Yes. So I think what he I, means is infectious, infectious diseases. Infectious diseases. They are... Yeah, they are Infectious pathogens of plants why do not infect animals or humans. I mean, that's yeah. They don't propagate. They don't propagate with. They don't propagate. But they, but they do put in immune responses, though. Sure, sure. So in I mean, you will make an immune response to anything that's to foreign. anything which is foreign, right. right? Exactly. So if there were to be an alien attack on the earth and a different kind of life form were to come, is it likely that we would con? Well, it depends on whether the alien that's attacking you also has a carbon-nitrogen-hydrogen-based form of life. Uh, we have an uh, we have a historical uh, example of, of an alien a attack. A a Absolutely, <laughs> the conquest of Latin America. Yeah, exactly. Conquest of Latin America with Old World introducing flu, for instance, yeah. was unknown to the Amerindian population. When flu was introduced into that population, but you know we both had prokaryotic cells. Yeah, or smallpox and in uh, Native Americans, right. yes, and, uh, where it was used much more, particularly in, for example, carp not carpets but cloths with scabs were actually sent about from uh, Britishers to Native Americans. To yeah, essentially to infect entire populations, yeah. <laughs> wiped out. No, for example, uh, 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 Something that is often asked is, if a mosquito bites somebody who has HIV, can mosquito transmit HIV? And the answer to that is, so far there's no evidence that HIV can be transmitted through mosquito bite because only those viruses are transmitted from through insects that have also a multiplication cycle within the insect. Yeah, even that has to be a host of some sort. That has to be a host. Is yeah. that the case with Zika? Zika uh, has... Uh, this opened up this whole issue of yeah. mosquito bites and HIV AIDS to me right. because now you find cases... No, that's of a very old question that mm -hmm. people have been asking uh, about, about HIV and HIV does not replicate in... Uh, uh, and if we could generalize that point, whether such what kind of transmission takes place whatever intermediary has to be an hospitable environment yeah. at the end even of the, the vector day. has to be a host at the end of, of the day think about yeah, yeah. for example why doesn't hiv spread by kissing typically you know that's yeah. that's a very strong example yeah. uh, i mean of course the uh, epidemiological <laughs> evidence would be if it were to be spread by kissing hiv rates would be through very very high <laughs> exactly right that's not in india <laughs> okay, so th that's one way of looking at it. But then there are actual, you know, biological studies which show saliva makes it extremely inhospitable for the HIV virus to sure. live. And it's, 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 of course, it's a probabilistic question, but the sure. probabilistic odds are so, well, you know, odds are so low sure. for survival to occur, right, that this uh, basically doesn't happen. 
I mean, uh, while we are on disease, though, and kind of end of disease, of course, that has been the thing. I would just like to kind of point out two things. One is, of course, if we look at the WHO definition of disease. It's living well. It's, it's not living just, well. Yeah. Also remember, it's contingent on uh, present ideas of what it means to live well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a shifting goalpost definition. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, we can think of a world, and uh, and this is... I, I'll just open up a new, a new uh, field in a way. I won't, but it's a already sure. existing field called cosmetic neurology. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, both exciting and quite ethically challenging. So, for example, uh, something like uh, an ADHD drug, right, like Ritalin, when used in certain amounts, mm -hmm. uh, s uh, certain small amounts would actually increase your attentiveness, wakefulness, etc., be a, per a performance enhancer. Making that the new normal. So yeah, you, yeah, without any observable effect to the body, right? Now, if this is spread, then we actually have a new normal of efficiency while everything is now pegged to that. Now, of course, still, the question of, well, say, uh, let's say inequality exists because if this access happens to a sector of the population and doesn't happen, then it only kind of all kind of such unequal distributions then only replicate and amplify the already existing inequalities. Having said that, we would have then a new definition vis-a-vis -vis this kind of scenario of what disease is, right? Then, of course, if, it, if we can think of a world where everybody would have access to that, let's say just like mother's milk or, you know, the polio vaccine, then not having it makes you odd because you cannot do this math at this rate. Right. You know, for example, I'm just sure, putting a crude sure, example. Sure. A good example which I, of a shifting goalpost because we're talking of disease is death. The definition of death has been shifting. <laughs> for example, because it also has to do with revival technologies. Yeah. Till when can you kind of intervene and, and bring brain back? death versus exactly. whatever and so on. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Before CPR, it would be something. After CPR and after defibrillators, it's probably something else. Which is why people in the kind of cryonic subcult or subfield, whatever you call it, remains so hopeful. So, I mean, extend that in a somewhat weird direction, Shahid. So if, if there are people who have 1% of India, 10% of the Caucasian populations have this mutation which uh, protects them from HIV virus, they would similarly, are there similar mutations for almost all kinds of diseases? Well, yes. So can, I mean, can, you, can you cosmetically create a baby or whatever which, which has all these mutations which prevents that baby from getting yeah, at least an identifiable list of diseases so a, identifiable a list of diseases is what is important i mean right. you you can only let's say theoretically that you have the technology to do this yeah you can only do it for diseases that you are infectious agents that you know of yeah so for example it is estimated that of all the viruses that have been characterized so far only constitute about 2% of the viral population that is out there. So we don't even know 90%. Yeah, but we, 98%. Know, but we know a very large proportion of the causes of death, and right? So that 98%, bulk of them are probably not causing infections or so, so on. So what, what you dying. don't know is, if you created such a human, what other things that human would be susceptible to? That's fair. That you don't know. So if you're getting to the question of whether you can create a mutant human who would live forever, 
The answer is no. I think the 20th century, one thing it has taught us, I hope, is this idea of bioengineering, which lay at the heart of eugenics. Yeah. The science, so-called science of eugenics, it has caused the deaths of millions of people. It, it took a perverse turn, Mohan. Uh, even before it took a perverse turn, the idea itself was perverse. The idea itself was perverse and completely unscientific. And it appealed to people's prejudices about everybody else. And sure. so you had a situation where the entire scientific community across the world was chasing up something which was not just absurd, but horrendous. Is it possible to create a synthetic rat which does not get diseases? We take human beings out of the equation, not that we should be kind to kind or unkind to another species, but is it possible to create life forms that don't contract well, diseases? That don't have disease. Well, I mean, a life form has been created de novo. So what people know is that what are the minim minimum number of genes that are required to, you know, for a living organism? And this is 300 something, which... Uh, Craig Venter and his group have uh, have created, sure. Sure. right? Uh, but you know that is a bigger question: whether you can create something that is free of disease. And uh, is the is the gene disease mapping more or less done? No. And uh, is is there a problem with doing that? Because the, it is limited by the disease that you know of. Sure, but for the known diseases, even then, no, uh, because why? there are many multigenic diseases. So you don't know the combination. I mean, he was talking the, about the, the was talking about, uh, about polygenic diseases. And, uh, there's, and there's another issue I would like to bring in. For example, our knowledge, let's say when you talked about, you know, mapping genes to diseases. Yeah. You know, we could talk about a level of analysis broader than that. You sure. Know, mapping you know, parts of the chromosome to diseases or sure. whatever. Sure. But on the same way, we can actually... There's no reason to think that we cannot think of even finer levels of analysis. So in a way, when we are sort of taking a part of the biological system and kind of trying to make a correspondence to an observable kind of disease, an identifiable disease, at a certain theoretical level, there is no end to the level of analysis you can get into. So in a sense, uh, it's kind of a mad chase, right? So... Even if you had theoretically a, a kind of a complex web set of correspondences, but it'll, it'll have an asymptotic kind of character. You you go fairly close to to what because to, the, not to hundred percent, but to no no. But but then you are assuming the floor. You're fair. assuming the floor, fair, right? Fair, that fair. you're and 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 that your asymptote, the, the the floor is near the actual floor, right? Yeah, <laughs> we have no clue. In a sense, uh, uh, what are as we go down or up the level of levels of analysis, the kinds of interactions change. The kinds of causalities change. Sure, sure, right? sure, sure. So, sure. Uh, in a way, what we can do is control. What, does that mean we give up doing disease research? Of course not. B we have to remember that all the disease research that happens is more contingent than prospective. What it's what mean? we have, hmm. and we are reacting to it to deal with it. Sure, sure. I mean, right? nobody is going to. It do, is extremely yeah. empirically based, and it's kind of data driven as opposed to ideation driven in terms of the idea of disease. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, you 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 go after real diseases, right, and not after the category of disease in a, in an in an abstract sense. Yeah. If we talk about blindness, which you worked yeah. on a little bit, Gorgo, and you know, I don't know whether you would call it a disease or not. Um, 
is it possible to and you know one is asking this question at all levels right mm-hmm. social anthropological medical neurological all of those is it possible to and one is asking that same question in a different location and in the context of blindness is it possible to have a world where there are no blind people let us solve all categories of blindness virtually unthinkable uh and I'll sort of briefly explain have you made progress in the last 50 years of course yes of course yes the incidence of uh, blindness uh, of treatable blindness the classes of blindnesses that can be treated has gone down for example blindness if you just just take across the lifespan just the cataract burden kind of 50 years ago is much lesser than it was today than it is today than it was earlier so that that's a very quantum change is is there a social determination to even conditions like blindness even if we don't call it a disease it doesn't cause oh, death yes, vitamin a deficiency as a cause of blindness it's yeah. a, it was very prevalent and i you see far less of that today yeah right yeah yeah and and if we think just in terms of let's say a blind person how can you make a blind person see right because yes. that's kind of a holy grail well there there are two kinds of kind of methods which have been tried both of them of course assume that behind your retina things are fine okay yeah. if your visual cortex which is the vision processing part of your brain if that is fried well you know we do not know because we do not even know too much about the particular circuit that is going beyond of, the ocular yeah, system yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but then again theoretically if you ask is that not a practical problem if we know everything about how the wiring is can we not create all the wires well yes theoretically but let's talk about what we have today sure we kind of assume that there is patency of the optic nerve and thereon we can do two things one is that we can create an artificial image to impinge on the optic nerve and talk in its language yeah that's one thing yeah. and the other thing is for example when people have age related macular degeneration or a kind of a central blind spot and things like that what you can do is you can blow up the image in some way yeah there can okay. be magnification yeah, of some could, sort so so either you create an artificial image through essentially a camera impinging into uh, electrical signals or you take the real image whatever residual uh, thing is what they do is they would actually do the magnification much later on so that the image covers a larger area sure. of her retina so that you sort of get to see most of it what does it do uh, and here's what i would like to kind of round it off why why would blindness matter because it affects your quality of life okay so while this is all one direction of doing things if we are realistic and depend more on contingent reality it's very important to also think about rehabilitation Uh, questions yep, yep, and yep. also think about how do we make a world where a blindness debilitation would matter less and less in terms of quality of life i think when we talk of diseases a single focus on uh, this mechanical relationship between causes and effects of biological happening it kind of keeps the quality of life right, out keep, of it right takes away bit. takes us away from the real burden of life here and now i think when you're talking about disabilities uh it's important to bring two factors into mind more people are disabled during the course of the life than those who are born with disability in other words your society creates different kinds of disabilities and it's important to keep that in mind the second is something which i recently read about this is a case involving a deaf couple uh who wanted their embryo screened so that the mother would only carry a deaf embryo 
Oh, the court intervened. They wanted only a deaf embryo inserted because they said our lives are different and we are proud of our lives. This is not a disability. We are different. Sure. This has also come and this is one case in New York involving deafness and another case in involving what they call height challenged people. In mm-hmm. other words, dwarfs. Sure. So do you then have a right? Who has the right to decide which difference is a disability? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And I would imagine it's possible to do that. It's possible to screen the embryo for height challenge or deafness. Is it? Well, uh, provided the genes that determine height and determine deafness are all known. Are known and they're... All known. Yeah. <laughs> right. On that question, what I would put it as is uh, if human survival depends on interaction of information from the environment, if we have greater amount of information coming in from a variety of sources... That can never be bad, right? Our chances of survival get better. So having said that, I think we as a people should be putting that into context when we are talking about variation, right? Do we want a variation which... Uh, makes one's survival chances lesser than other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. something I would like to flag. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes total sense. I, How I much of information do you want? We have now en- enough information. We know, for instance, that the world grows enough food to feed everybody in the world. Nobody needs to go hungry. And no, yet- but the question, Mohan, is that, sure, there's enough food and there are inequality and distribution problems, which... Which, if solved, clean air problems solved, everybody is above a certain minimum wage, there would still be disease in that world. Yes. A world without social inequality, a world without nutritional inequality would still have diseases. Because That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is the informational utopia that Gorgo is referring to. That we have <laughs> information, things can get done. That is not necessarily is what I, I'm, I'm no, cautioning. No, that no, they, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that biological organisms given the confluence of information they are, survive better with more information. I mean, it is uh, clear that in a certain... And even a pathogenic attack on a body is an information... In a a certain environment, if I could see and not see, there's an information difference. If I have sound signals as opposed to it, there's an information difference. And the difference, the more information is beneficial in survival. That's all I'm saying. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's a good note to end this on. Thank you to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon Thank again. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you for coming to us. Yeah.